everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today is an exclusive interview you'll never hear anywhere else. Um, Ali Karim is going to interview uh, Rob Hart, whose latest book is The Warehouse. But first, let me tell you about Ali. Ali, my friend, lives in England. He was a board member of BoucherCon um, at and co-chaired programming for BoucherCon Raleigh, North Carolina, which was amazing, by the way. He's the assistant editor of Shots E-Zine, the British correspondent for the Rap Sheet, and writes and reviews for many U.S. magazines and e-zines. Um, Ali is an associate member of CWA, ITW, which is International Thriller Writers, PWA. He contributed to Dissecting Hannibal Lecter, uh, which was a very, very popular book, and the Greenwood Encyclopedia of British Crime Fiction, and ITW's 100 Thriller Novels, uh, which was edited by my friend David Morrell at, from Ocean and by Ocean View Publishing. He is the CWA Award Dagger Judge um, and was awarded the David Thompson Memorial Award and the Don Sunstrom Memorial Award for Lifetime Achievement in Fandom in 2013 BoucherCon, Albany. Ali Karim, welcome to Authors on the Air. Hi, Pam. It's good to hear, to hear your voice again after meeting you first time in London this summer. Right. In, in September, October, we were together, hanging out, we, laughing ourselves silly. <laughs> I know. We were indeed. We were indeed. Are you ready for your guest, Rob, Rob Hart? Absolutely. This is a real I'm uh, gonna... delight. I'm turning over the microphone to you so you can introduce Rob. It's yours. Hi. Um, well, thanks very much, Pam, for having me on. And I really appreciate the ability to uh, chat to Rob Hart. I've been um, somewhat stunned by his novel, The Warehouse, a real breakout. But a lot of people know Rob from his Ash McKenna books um, and also particularly New York, which uh, was uh, nominated for uh, an Anthony Award as well. And he wrote with James Huston, Scott Free as well. And the warehouse uh, has been sold, I believe, Rob, to 21 countries. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always good to be here. And, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're up to, like, 21 now, 22, um, which is, is, is actually, like, it, it kind of underscores the absurdity of all of this, but I've, I've lost count. Well, I must admit, I, I was listening to a podcast where you were interviewed by um, – Two book guys called Books, I believe it was, and you mentioned right, right, about, right. You mentioned about walking um, from uh, dinner with your publishers in the UK, thinking how surreal all this is. Are you still feeling it surreal? Yeah, you know, I mean, even with the book being out now, there, I'm still maintaining that there's an outside chance that this is an elaborate practical joke. Um, it's just been, it, it's been such an incredible trip and, and the way people are responding to the book and, you know, it's just, it's, it's more than I could have hoped for. It's been incredible. Well, you see what, what I really enjoyed about it, um, for those who haven't read it is, uh, because my background's in the logistics industry and I love crime fiction like that. But first of all, Rob, what I'd like to ask is for some of those who didn't, uh, who don't really know the story. Could you just tell us about Ma Maria Fernandez and the Dunkin' Donuts, the initial spark for the book? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, the, uh, the, the, the very first initial spark was basically, um, 
I, I read an article years and years ago from a woman who got a job in a fulfillment center and it was about how brutal the conditions were and how terrible it was to work there and, you know, and how people were still lined up around the block for jobs like these uh, because they were, you know, these companies set up in economically depressed areas and, and they're the only game in town so they can kind of do what they want. And I, I remember reading that article and thinking, you know, there, there is a book here. Uh, and, and I filed it away and it was something that I kept on coming back to over the years. And then I read about Maria and uh, Maria worked in uh, several Dunkin' Donuts locations. She worked in three um, and, and none of them would hire her full time. She was part time in all of them. And presumably that's because none of them wanted to pay her uh, benefits, because if you pay if she was full time, she would have had to have gotten benefits. And she would drive back and forth between these locations and she would sleep in her car in between. And uh, one day she was sleeping in her car and a gas can overturned and she suffocated. And, you know, and, and it just really struck me as, you know, we, we've created this system where, where companies do this to people, where not, not one of these locations was willing to hire her full time because they wanted to save some money, you know, uh, the, the year that she died, the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts made $10 million and, and she was making minimum wage and, and struggling to pay for a basement apartment. And it's like, you know, the, 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 this is completely out of control. It's, it's, we're now, now at a point where it's like, com- like, like we, are, we have become the food that large companies eat to get bigger. And what, that really put a human face on it for me. And, and, and it made me really angry. And, uh, you know, the book kind of locked in for me after that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, that struck me was the idea that you know, for for the uh, for convenience, we give away some of our freedoms. I mean, to, to be fair with you, when I, when I heard from Pam about the show, I ordered myself uh, headphones and a microphone, but instead of going to a store, I ordered them online, right? which you know, uh, uh, it's convenient. So you know, in, in that respect, it's very prescient. Now, look, uh, Rob, I work in logistics. Now, one of the things that uh, we're seeing is job losses and logistics like the hospitality industry are areas that are going to have uh, huge job losses, automated warehouses, these. But the central conceit in the warehouse is humans are required to do some of that work, some of that mindless yeah. work. Right. But anyway, and what I found really interesting was the, the U.S. cover, when it was released, had the Amazon sort of, you know, the online sort of boxes and the drones and stuff. However, I have a real soft spot, you know, and I'm not being jingoistic for the British cover from Transworld Publishing, you know, Bantam Press, um, because of that barcode. So tell us about um, what territories, what covers are being used for the book? Well, uh, so it's funny. A lot of countries are using the U.S. cover because it got such good press that they they, they thought it would be good just to sort of, you know, keep it out there. Um, Italy yeah. used it. Um, uh, Portugal, uh, a couple of others, but then uh, Germany did their own cover and they also used the barcode. Um, I think Poland is actually using the UK cover because again, the UK cover got some really nice traction. And, um, mm. and now the French are doing also a barcode cover. That's, that's a little bit of a, a takeoff on the German one, but, but it's still interesting to see sort of, you know, uh, half of them are boxes and half of them are barcodes. Right, right. So anyway, just um, before we get on more, tell us about still press. I'm sorry, you're breaking up for me a little bit. Is 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 that yeah. my end or your end? 
Uh, no, you're clear my end, probably my end there. Um, no, I was asking, are you still um, doing work with Mysterious Press? Uh, actually, no. Um, I, I left. Um, I, I'd been running MysteriousPress.com and handling sort of a lot of the ebooks in the backlist for them. But I think yeah. about seven or eight months ago, I decided to uh, to go full time and and do the writing thing, you know, solely. Um, and it's been nice. It's sort of it's nice to be able to focus on it and to uh, to also be home a little bit more for my daughter. Um, you know, she uh, she she's four and she's very um, energetic. So uh, it's, it's, it's super fun to like not have to spend two hours of everyday commuting. And then I get to like drop her off at school and then pick her up and, and just sort of work in between. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool. So uh, you, you cut your teeth with the uh, Ash McKenna series, right? Have you hanged, yeah. you know, have you got a background in crime fiction? Do you read a great deal as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I sort of, I, 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 I had been on sort of like a lull recently. Um, cause I've been, mm-hmm. I've been tied up in a lot of like research and a lot of other work stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of back on track with my reading now, which I'm, which I'm super excited about, but, um, you know, crime fiction's always been my first love and it's always the one that I'm going to sort of lean toward. But, uh, but I also try to get out of crime fiction as much as I can. Um, because I feel like it's just, it, it helps me to broaden my scope and to broaden my, my sort of writing sensibility. Like I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to read a little bit more fantasy now because I feel like I don't have as good of a, uh, like a basis in fantasy books. No, I must admit, I love horror and science fiction as well, but I like the weird because the warehouse is really weird as well. But yeah. uh, talking about weird, um, tell us a bit about your relationship with James Patterson with Scott Free. Was that one of the shorts that you did, or was it a short novel? Yeah, yeah, it was one of the book shots, uh, which which I, I don't know if they're really doing anymore. Um, I it seemed like uh, my my very rough understanding is that they you know they wanted to do these shorter length uh, sort of novellas, um, yeah. and I think that it was just there were too many of them, and it got to be a little bit uh, a little bit much, but. You know, it was a fun process. Uh, it was it was right after New York came out, and I had uh, you know, the, the book was getting good reviews. I mean, it was a small press, but you know, mm-hmm. it was it was still it was doing okay. And um, and an editor I, I was friendly with actually at, at BoucherCon in Raleigh um, asked me if I wanted to put my hat in the ring for this thing, and I was like, yeah, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was a great learning process. I mean, his notes were just sort of like, oh, like I see why you are who you are like just really incisive stuff about plot and pacing and the way it sort of interacts with character. And I think, uh, I, I think that was one of my best learning experiences as a writer. And, and the Genesis was at Bauschikon and Raleigh then. I'm sorry. That was at Bauschikon Raleigh. In yeah. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. God, did yeah. The programming for that. Uh, oh, okay. the program. Yeah. 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 That was, uh, <clears throat> I was uh, talked into it because um Really, Bashkirtland hadn't gone down to the deep south. Well, it's not really the deep south. Las Vegas was the uh, the nearest time with that as well. Anyway, listen. Just moving on through um, uh, through there. You talked about reading more fantasy. Fantasy never got to me, but I tell you what was uh, amusing. Um, I picked up that uh, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers. Right. And yeah. I have, a, I have a great friend of mine, Jane, in the states, and she told me about it last year. She said. Don't get put up by the, you know, the, the heft. It's just been published over here now by uh, Solaris Books, sort of a publisher I'm not that familiar with. And what a book, my God. I remember I was listening to your podcast, and you said you lugged it around for a couple of days. I mean, I read it in a week. 
one, but it's a huge book. I mean, um, I, I I never I never heard of Chuck Wendig apart from the Star Wars things before. So how do you hear about it, Rob? Uh, I actually I I, I know Chuck. Um, you know, oh, he's right. a buddy. Uh, I you know his um. So his publisher is Del Rey, which is sort of like wrapped up in the whole sort of like, like they're they're, they're like sibling publishers to to my publisher. Um, but but even like uh, over the years, I've sort of known him on Twitter and I've met him a few times in person. And um, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I it's an 800 page book that I read in three days. Uh, I just thought it, I, I mean, I've always been a big fan of his writing. Uh, I think this was definitely his sort of like big breakout where it was like everything kind of came together in a way that yeah. just really clicked um you know and, and i'm so happy to see the book do as well as it has done because it's always nice to see your pals doing good no absolutely i mean i need a huge amount but so big audio and the thing is the problem with the wanderers was that i wanted to download the the audio version as well but the, the rights haven't been organized in the uk so you can't get it in uh, audio however okay. i said and i read the warehouse in in one session um, several weeks ago, and I just recently reread it again as an audio. But I have to tell you, the narration is absolutely. St- I mean, what do you do? This um, Emily uh, Wu Zeller and Carissa, yeah. you know, and uh, and Jason. Um, it's, uh, what do you think of the narration of it? I'll tell you what. Here, here's the thing that's funny about audiobooks, and and I've heard this from other authors. So, so mm-hmm. I'm not alone on this. I can't listen to the audiobook because what happens is it's like it's it's hearing my own internal narration but in someone else's voice which is like sort of unsettling like it throws me a little bit. I mean I did listen to clips of it. I listened like before they even recorded it the the people who were putting together the ebook sent me clips of the actors and said this is who we're thinking of using what do you think? So, so I know that they did a spectacular job, but I also feel kind of uncomfortable listening to it. So I sort of like you know, I'm I'm happy to hear that you enjoyed it. That that makes me feel good. No, to be fair, it's one of the better narrated books that I've listened to on a bridge. It was superb. I had a, a drive to Glasgow and back in a day for business, and so I had four and a half hours there, four and a half hours back, and the time just flew by listening to the warehouse because it's so well narrated. But anyway, going on back into that, um, when, at what stage did, did things start to gel that you started to realize that you could tell the story with these three viewpoints? You know, the, the Gibson who created the cloud, right, in his blog, and the, this Paxton character and the, the mysterious Zinnia. When did, when did you realize how you could tell the story? It was honestly when I cracked Gibson's voice um, because I knew I, I, I always knew Paxton and Zinnia were going to be sort of like the main driving characters of this. And, right. and it just was not coming together. You know, it, it felt like there was something missing. And, and that missing thing was that the fictional company in the book cloud is, is basically so big and so consuming that, that it practically becomes a character. And, and if it's a character, it needs a voice. And so adding in Gibson and having him act as sort of like a counterpoint and sort of, um, you know, trying to sort of offer the other perspective of things uh, that really opened things up for me in a big way. And, and once I had him and I had his voice, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get this now. Right. Right. Cause it was, it was uh, really extraordinary that um, by having the Gibson character, there's a veneer of benevolence that he has and he feels his life work to build these warehouses. Now, the other thing that I thought, and I reviewed it recently for um, shots, but um, are you 
you know, um, do you follow any of the apocalyptic type of stuff? I, I know it's like Wanderers, but the warehouse has a, a slight apocalyptic feel to it, you know, with regard to global warming and things like that. I mean, do you do you ever read any of these uh, apocalyptic dystopian science fiction dramas of the 70s, you know, at all? Do they interest you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've always been a big fan of, of that sort of like, you know, it looks like a utopia, but it's actually a dystopia. Um, yeah. You know, like the I think the first book that actually really sort of pushed me toward this was uh, was Fahrenheit 451. So, right. you know, um, I, I wanted to play a little bit in that space. <clears throat> and so it was it was fun to, like, not only get the opportunity to do that, but then for, for the book to sort of actually click with people. Right. Yeah. Because to be fair, I mean, I've only um, I've only read one of your Ash McKenna's, but the, the, the voice in this is very well. I felt it was very Crichtonish, right? Michael Crichton. Um, it was all like a techno thriller. Um, yeah. How would you feel about it being described in sort of a Michael Crichton type of territory? Hey, I'm I'm fine with that. Michael Crichton wrote right, Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. You know, I, there's I know. no complaints from me. Um, <laughs> I actually, I mean. I've read Crichton. Um, I mean, I read Jurassic Park. I read Sphere. I might have read one or two of his other books. Uh, I, I just, I guess, I never made that association. But I think um, a few of the reviewers did, and and um, one of the blurbers did, and and, and so I was, um, I, I will happily take it. I know. One of my um, deep regrets. I don't have many, but uh, is I was invited to have a meal with uh, Michael Crichton. He was flying into London by Paris. And it was a year before he passed away, but I was so busy that I declined it. And then uh, later, I know. And when you look at his life uh, with regard to his, his uh, medical work and, and his pseudonyms um, that he wrote, it was amazing. Now, the other thing that I was going to say, dystopian 1970s stuff with like Charlton Heston. And um, there, was a, there was a particular film based on uh, hey, Harry Harrison's Make Room, Make Room called Soylent Green. And then I also okay. thought of, you know, and I also thought of, um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything here, um, Richard Linklater, you know, and Eric Slosh's um, uh, Fast Food Nation as well, because the whole, yeah. the whole concept is so fine, right? And so, uh, and it leaves you at the end to really think, because uh, I find, um, and uh, Wendig's uh, Wonders did the same, when I put the book down and the warehouse, I just sat in silence for at least half an hour, just sat in the darkness thinking, you know, what was going on, which is, uh, for me, uh, a big achievement for this. So anyway, um, I know you've got to go off fairly soon, so I just wanted to say, um, are you prepared to talk about what you're thinking about writing at the moment or what you're doing? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into specifics, but uh, no. the book that I'm writing next is sort of, it's not a it's not a sequel to the warehouse. I, I want that to be a standalone thing for now, but it's sort of like a spiritual sequel in the sense that I feel like I was trying to raise some questions in the warehouse that I am now going to try to answer in the next one. And and it's very much about, you know, power and the way the way power is sort of designed to just protect itself. And uh I'm I, I'm a big fan of, of this whole like, you know, write a thriller that also has a bit of a social message thing. So I'm just gonna stick with that for a little while. Well, I think that's uh, admirable because, you know, at the end of the day, the story's got to stand on its own two legs, and the story yeah. certainly has legs in this. But there is a social conscience there, which I actually appreciated, being um, a very left-wing liberal who used to work in the capitalist machine, which yeah. <laughs> can be difficult. But uh, going back to logistics, 
<laughs> at which point do you think that um, America may go down and Europe the same routes as China, uh, China with regard to manufacturing and having cities and travel and all of this stuff? I don't know. I mean, because you look at the model in China where they've basically built these big sort of like dormitories for their workers and they work people to the bone. I mean, you know, that's sort of where we're, 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 a lot of the American work culture is trying to convince people that that's what you should do, that you should be subservient to your job, that your job is your family, that you should, you know, get your work done no matter what. And, and now, you know, there are even U.S. companies that are considering the live work model. Uh, Facebook wants to build these big sort of like housing complexes for its employees. The idea being that if you don't actually go home, you're always at work. And if you're always at work, you're always working. And, you know, we're sort of giving up a little bit of our freedom. You know, there, there are, you know, our employers expect us to check our email at night and on the weekends and to, to work unpaid overtime and, you know, I, I just I feel like we're we're pretty we're, we're getting to that place and it's it's getting kind of dangerous because because that's the thing about capitalism. Capitalism really only works unless it's you're, you're exploiting your workers. Hmm. And, you know, it's 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 not going to get better unless we have like a very severe realignment of, of what our systems and expectations are. No, no, it, it's quite frightening, really, the way that technology is going. Do you feel uh, fear that when you're writing high tech? because the warehouse is very high-tech, that some of the things that you're looking into are things that are going to appear in the future? You know, oh, well, I mean, the... well, it, it, to a degree, there, there are things that I wrote about in the book that started coming true. Um, you know, I, I had this company, they have their own banking system where they pay their employees and basically like script like what they used in like the old coal mining towns. But now mm-hmm. Amazon is thinking of creating its own sort of payment system for its employees. Um, there, there, there were things that there was something that I, I meant to put in the book. Um, I wanted, so, so all the characters have tracking watches that gauge their, their productivity and then help them do their jobs. And I wanted to include like a game where, you know, they advanced in the game by being productive at work. And I was like, you know, that's too far-fetched. That's a little too ridiculous. I don't think the reader will buy that. I'm putting that one to the side. And then Amazon just introduced that with their employees a couple of months ago. So I feel like my instinct was always, if something felt a little too fantastical, to sort of strip it back a little bit. Um, I wanted everything in the book to feel sort of very believable. I didn't want it to be, you know, so techy that, that people got lost. Um, and in doing that, like, I, I feel like I keyed into a couple of things that have, you know, greatly and deeply disturbed me. I, I want to jump in just for a second, um, because Allie and Rob, I, I, I'm a big fan of NPR. And last week on NPR, I don't remember which show it was because I have it on all day long. They were talking about um, on the job injuries with Amazon employees who exactly what you said, Rob have to have to move X amount of packages from one place to the other in a certain amount of time. Otherwise they won't get promoted or raises and may even lose their job. And as a result of that, they have like 400 times the number of workplace injuries than most companies that are warehouse style. So you're, you're kind of, what you're saying you're afraid to write is really already happening. And, um, and I hear so many 
when I listen to these programs, and Ali, I, I, you probably don't have NPR over there, but I'll send you a link so you can listen. But um, they have a lot of whistleblowers who come forward and say, this is a horrible place to work. And I, and I believe it was, is it Google that wants to have their own enclosed space, the Google headquarters? Um, you know, you can't get in, and they have, they have already dormitory living. And wasn't there just a movie that released last year about a woman who bought into the whole system? Uh, you know, this whole live on campus, work on campus, the campus is your life. So, so kudos to you for, for tapping into something that nobody else has, mm-hmm. has tapped into. Well, you well know, thank you. Um, um, go yeah, ahead, I'm, Rob. I'm, sorry, Rob. Or Allie. Oh, no, that, that's all I got. All right. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the, the weird thing is in the 1980s, I worked out in the Middle East, and in Saudi Arabia, you'd have towns that were like Aramco, which is going to right. float, and everything was self-contained within that place. You know, you could get all your stuff there, which is, is quite worrying, really. Anyway, going back to um, the actual warehouse of the uh, characters that you have, um, do you like um, stories that wrap everything up in a nice bow at the end, Rob? I mean, you know, that that, that can certainly be fun. Um, I, I don't I don't know if I have a preference between open-ended stories and, and, mm-hmm. and neatly packaged stories. I mean, so, and, and sometimes I've certainly been frustrated um, by authors who sort of end at a point when they don't give me the answers that I want. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was happy to leave the ending of The Warehouse a little obtuse. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I know everything that happens, you know, during and after. So I, I, I'm sort of less concerned no, with answering those questions. Yeah, no worries. Anyway, listen, um, um, Pam, I'm more or less finished with the, the bits I wanted to talk about. Just one last thing I'd like to speak to Rob about is um, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, for Scott Free, you had a discussion at BauschaCon. How important are conventions and festivals? Pam and I met at um, Capital Crime. Rob, do you attend Bashcon every year? I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I've, I, my, my thinking on, on festivals and, and conventions is this. You know, I think they could be really valuable in terms of, of creating friendships and, and seeing people. And, you know, being a writer is, A, both a very solitary thing, and, B, it's, it's not something that we always share with people in our social circles because, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm the only writer in my family. I'm the only writer that I see on a regular basis. Like I have friends who are writers uh, and close friends who are writers, but I don't see them as often. And so, you know, it's really good for recharging creative batteries and, and for just sort of, you know, having a couple of fun days. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, they're also really expensive and yeah. they could be, you know, uh, it's a lot of travel, which is hard on, on a person and on a family. And, you know, you, you're, you're never going to sell enough books at a convention to actually make the trip worth it in the sense of like, you know, you would have to sell hundreds and hundreds of books to cancel out the hundreds of dollars that you spent on a hotel, on airfare, on, on all that stuff. So, you know, I like to, I, I like to, I, I always feel like I like to encourage people to check out conventions, but also know that they're going into it more for sort of that feeling of camaraderie than for action for the, than for mm. an actual dollar and cents return. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But listen, you must be doing quite a bit of travel at the moment with the warehouse now selling to the country. So where have you been? 
Uh, oh, wow. So I was in the UK before the book came out here because it came out in, in um, the UK a week early. And then I did some US stuff. Then I did, um, where did I go? I did uh, Milan, then Munich, then Hamburg, then Amsterdam. And then I just met with my French editor and they're bringing me out to Paris and Lyon in like April. Wow. So actually wow. right now is great because like <laughs> now is the quiet time. Yeah. And so I like, like I finally sort of like, I've hit that lull where, where I've sort of fulfilled all my obligations for the year and I can just kind of relax for the rest of the month. <laughs> well, I want to say this, that you are not relaxing. So there are two things I want to say. First of all, New York was one of the best books I've ever read. Did I not tell you that Rob? You, you have said it several times and every time you do, it just <laughs> fills my heart with joy. It is one of the best books I've ever read. The second thing is kudos to Ali Karim because BoucherCon North Carolina was a first for me, a first BoucherCon. It's when I first met Rob in person. Rob sat down at a big conference room table where we were doing a live broadcast with a bunch of other authors and some of whom had never been there before. Um, I loved Raleigh's BoucherCon, despite the fact that it was at two different hotels. That mm-hmm. was kind of a bonus for me because so, you get outside. So it was a great experience. Um, I did not go to Dallas this year. But um, also, not for nothing, and maybe it's not a real big deal, but every year our network, the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, does a book of the year award and Rob is once again nominated not only in, in thriller fantasy, but for book of the year that is on December 18. Yes. I I think you, you may have gotten that before Rob. Yeah. With, uh, with, with South village, the uh, other third Ash book. And, uh, and it's just such an incredible honor. So, so, I mean, thank you really. It's a, it's a little honor. It's a little one because it's just, you know, we broadcast to 40 countries, but um, we're not as big as some of the other, well, as well known as some of the other people. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think it's a pretty big honor, though. Well, I'm, I'm going to call you, it a big you know. honor. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Well, we'll find out who wins Book of the Year on December 18. And I think I'm going to have to cue in Allie so he can be my guest host on that show, too. Um, Rob, would you please tell everyone where they can find you on the webs and on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my website is robwhart.com. Uh, my Twitter is robwhart, and my Instagram is robwhart1. And we can find everything we need to know about all of your books there at your website, correct? Exactly. I keep it nice and up to date. Okay. And are you still studying um, Crav? I am, yeah. Uh, I train tomorrow night. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of moving over to Muay Thai. But, um, you know, anything that gets me out of the house and gets me active. Considering, go, look at you know, Sheena Com- go look at Sheena Kamal's page. Poor thing is doing Muay Thai right now, and her, her poor body is just bruised all the hell. She's in Thailand. So we've been. Yeah, I actually, I, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, Allie, tell us where we can find you because you, my friend, are the literary influencer for sure of everything in London that I know and certainly here in the United States as well. Um, Where can we go and find you? Well, um, a slight correction. I'm not really an influencer. I just like reading books. I like writing oh, and reading. So, is no, there no, no, anyone no. who doesn't know you in the literary community? No, everybody uh, no, knows you. It, no, I'm I'm really shy. 
Um, anyway, you, uh, Facebook. <laughs> I am. I am. I don't blush easily. You can't notice it. But anyway, Facebook. Ali Karim is easy, and then my Twitter is uh, Ali Chemist. And I, I've sort of joined Instagram, but I don't really know what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, but Shots Magazine, The Rap Sheet, January Magazine. I write for a number of magazines. Uh, if I like something, I like to tell other people. So that's that's me in a nutshell, really. Anyway, that's thanks for it, Pam. That's the way I feel about it. I want to thank you, Ali, for being such a great guest host today. And my friend Rob Hart, congratulations on all your success. Yep. Um, look, at, we, I, we ought to just mention, by the way, that um, Ron Howard's Imagine Films has optioned your book. And mm. it looks like they're going forward with that, correct? Uh, I, I do not know. Um, I, I, all I know is that uh, apparently the, the first version of the screenplay is in and they, they have some notes on it. And now they're, they're rewriting a little bit, but we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Had, have you had any interest in being a part of that, Rob? No, no. I don't know how to write a screenplay. And this is not the venue for me to learn. But, um, but I did have a really nice meeting with them. Um, I, I went out to their offices uh, over the summer when I was in San Diego uh, for Comic-Con. So I drove up to L.A. to meet with the, the screenwriter. And it was a great conversation. You know, he ran me through some of the ideas that he had and some changes they wanted to make. And, and it was all really, really smart, incisive stuff. So I had no complaints. And, you know, they're, they're a bunch of really nice, passionate folks. So we'll see how it goes. I'm so proud. I'm so happy for you. Go ahead, Ali. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Rob, you know, um, if you get a chance to do a cameo, you know, I'd love to see you in the film version flipping <laughs> one of those uh, burgers, right? And, uh, and also <laughs> tasting one, uh, just chowing ch- yeah. on those cloud burgers. That'd be just superb. If anybody's not read it, you'll understand the joke afterwards. Absolutely. I want to thank everybody for listening today, and particularly my host, Ali Karim, and my friend, author Rob Hart, who's, you know, keep your eye out for Rob because he's on his way to the very top. Thank you for being with me, everyone, today, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.